Okay, so hello everyone, and welcome back to. I couldn't be a YouTuber, so I decided to make a podcast instead. Um, I'm I've been recording all these audio files as um episode number fourteen, um experimental recording like one, two, and three, because you know for one for volume one and two, um uh, number two for volume three, and then one for volume four. I'm still not decided on how I want to label this, so um I'll, I'll figure it out as I go. Um. But yeah, so as you can tell from my previous states, I'm getting more and more calmer just because, you know, energy levels. Um, I'm still very enthusiastic because I love these stories and I love talking about them. And, you know, having no one to talk to means, you know, having to turn to podcasts or making videos. Now, I know podcasts are definitely not uh, a mainstream medium compared to, like, you know, making videos because, you know, you get that media content and whatnot. But I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I must at least try and leave a mark as many have characters have done in this web novel earth air right uh um right by Cai hong Zimeng, right um earth era by um rainbow gator um rainbow door i just shorthand call him rainbow um so yeah so if if you're still listening um for whatever reason you decided to listen um to my summaries um we are now on volume four um let me really pull up what what the volume titles are. Uh, I kind of neglected to mention the volume titles. Volume 1, Solar Crisis, because it has to do with the sun, and the VIP volumes. Volume 2 is Disaster of the Stars. Volume 3 is Interstellar Voyage. And Volume 4 is The Devil's Nest. Um, and then Volume 5, Stardust Messenger. Um, so as I mentioned before, there was um, there was a mystery involved in Volume 3. And if, you're, if you've come here for that, we are going to talk about that. They discover... It takes a little bit to discover. There's always, always, always a sense of mystery. And so I'm not going to reveal all those mysteries outright. I'll just say that there's a main character and, and then all, all that background mystery nuances, um, I'll, I'll leave buried. I, I could talk about it, but I feel like I, I must, you know, give a sense of hope, you know, even to those who, who are, spo- even if I'm giving spoilers, at least, you know, there's something fresh for people to read rather than, you know, mine every single small nuance and detail. There are a lot that, that, even as I summarize, I'm, you know, glossing over a lot of big plot points as well. So, yeah, I may be describing it as a summary, but, you know, it like if you want the full exposition, the full story, I still highly recommend you go read it. Even, you know, three volumes of spoilers, the fourth volume of spoiler. In. And that's why I, I've left the fifth volume open for anyone who's interested in reading that. So we've come to... Um, a new main character as well, right? More time has passed, right? A lot of these previous events are almost completely wiped. Um, in each of these chapters, our author has a particular story in mind, um, a particular field of science. Oh, I keep forgetting what that term is. Um, area of study. What, what is it called? I said before. Um, let's see here. Um, knowledge branches. That's not it. Uh, what the heck? Um, let me find this. Um, synonyms, field of study in. Oh yeah, subject field, subject areas, right? So there, there are all these various branches of science, right? Um, what was volume one? Volume one was concerned more about like morals, as I mentioned before. Um of, you know, Cold War, of how to deal with other species in the dark forest. Um, volume 2 was an astrological crisis about um, Earth space. Oh, yeah, uh, about uh, um, uh, Lebachevsky space, right? I'm having to do with um, non-Euclidean geometry. 
Um, volume 3 is about the dead knot and the Fermi paradox, and then volume 4 is about AI and a wandering earth. As you can tell, really calm tone to some of my more enthusiastic moments. Um, yeah, so I'm lying on the back trying to formulate some of my thoughts for volume 4. So volume four, we're going to deal a lot with computer science, a lot of the computer science professions, a lot about, um, we don't go too much into Isaac Asimov. So, you know, laws of robotics and whatnot, and, and you know, the various ideas of magic that a lot of science fiction and fantasy writers have come up with. Um, but we're going through a lot of science concepts and programming and morality and the rules of computers, especially in this world. And we come across an issue, right? Obviously, there's always the discovery of the problem. I'm not going to go through that. Um, you know, you're welcome to read that yourself. Um, but our main character discovers the existence of robots, right? So robots are the main enemy. It's not AI. It's just replicating robots, very much like a virus, right? It's kind of interesting. You know, self-replicating robots just trying to take over the world. Where they came from is never explained. Um, Right? Is it never explained? I think there is an explanation. Sorry. Um, I I'm trying to keep a sense of mystery. Um, where they came from, I'm not going to talk about. Um, um, you're welcome to read that on your own. Um, but there's just this self-replicating AI. And then this is what the volume three was alluding to, this issue of, of dealing with this foreign enemy. Um, sorry, I'm a little bit exhausted. I'm trying to find out my words. So you're dealing with a self-replicating AI, and they're discovering various flaws and issue with machines, right? Um, I really like this idea of machines not being all-knowing, all-powerful, right? Because, you know, whenever we encounter machines, we always think of them deus ex machina, right? Uh, the god in the machine. I don't think that's the right term. But they are like this unbeatable civilization that are constantly advancing, constantly moving forward, and they need material resources. But I think the way they do robots in this volume is that, you know, the robots are not they are self-upgrading and self-improving, you know, through natural selection and evolution, but they are limited by the amount of resources they have and the time they have to evolve, right? Because, you know, to experiment with every single possible variation, you know, requires a lot, a lot of trial and error and resources. Yeah, they can keep cannibalizing and, you know, that sense of things there. But like, you know, with the human brain and humans, you know, instead of having to brute force everything, we deal with things through creativity, through models, right? So that's the conflict of analytical thinking, you know, linear thinking, and, you know, spatial thinking, you know, creativity, right? You know, left brain, right brain, as we always like to call it. Um, I don't, what is it? Is it like the prefrontal cortex and like, oh, the left lobe and the right lobe? Um, I guess there is some sense of that. Sorry, I was trying to go through some of my psych, psych knowledge. Um, but yeah, so it's basically talking about machines and this conflict of humans machines, right? And so I love some of the concepts they put forward, right? Like, you know, there's no difference between killing 10 machines and a trillion. Because if there's even 1% remaining, you know, they'll continue to re replicate. Kind of like my, um, ants, mice, termites, you know, the various pests we have in the animal world with insects, right? You know, there are various allusions to all that. So obviously the Martians have discovered a way. And, and I actually will reveal the solution. Um, so it's very, very similar to, very reminiscent of volume one. Um, but there's there's a twist, right? Um, what were the various solutions proposed? There was three solutions proposed. Um, very in line with you know regular natural sciences. Solution one is an evolutionary trap, whereas you deliberately induce a flaw to try and kill as many as possible. Solution two was a virus, right? So you know computer virus try and wipe them all out, try and make a self-replicating machine. Solution three is to let higher 
a Kardashev civilization deal with it, right? Because if civilization, it's based on various assumptions that if civilizations are selfish, right, you know, then, you know, they will find this future threat of, you know, robotic aliens, um, species of self-replicating robots, and they will try to wipe it out, right, with higher energy level. Now, each of these plans carries its own risks, especially the third one in particular, because if you decide to let a higher civilization deal with it, right, you know, you're dealing with a force much more powerful than you. But there's some very unique traits of this self-replicating robots. One is the fact that it hasn't conquered their galaxy yet. In fact, there there are no traces of this uh, alien self-replicating species, which indicates one thing, that it has been created recently. That is one of the smaller mysteries I will reveal, and I will try not to reveal more. But, you know, these, these robots were created recently, so, um, you know, take what you will from that knowledge. Um... Um, so, you know, it is, this species is still in its infancy. Where it comes from, you know, you're going to have to read to find out. Um, what was it? Okay, um, the second solution is viruses. Um, it's an interesting idea. They do some testing on Pluto, and um, they find a decent amount of success. Um, but the problem with viruses and the evolutionary code um, actually comes from a saying, which is, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And it's the same issue with the evolutionary trap, right? If you give a bunch of aliens, you know, all these resources, right? You know, they, they will take that knowledge and they will disseminate it and, and whatnot. They do test on Pluto and it succeeds. Um, but when they do it on in a real trial, right, they find that, um, like, one fighting with these um, self-replicating robots, it's its all or nothing. It's winner take all, right? You, you either kill all of them, or, you know, if you leave even one, you know, they'll all come back to life again, right? So they've acknowledged that this self-replicating and self-upgrading robot is um, executing code, right? But, you know, that code um, and is evolving, right, you know, to simulate all that. But, you know, um, you know, th there's there's lack of human control at this point. So there's there's no way to really stop it once, you know, that machine has started going. So it, you, the only way to stop it is externally and through brute force, right? Which is, you know, going through warfare, through strategy. There's a lot of really amazing characters. There's a lot of military stuff. There's a lot of um, scientific philosophy being imbued in this volume. It's very, very deep philosophically. As you can tell by my calm tone, uh, um, I'm taking a very different path with this recording. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of computer science and morals um, that is being discussed. And so, um, so one of the main events is this evolutionary trap. While it has exceeded on small-scale tests, when you're dealing with trillions, hundreds of trillions, with almost like Google amounts, right? You know, a really large amount. You know, there are bigger numbers as well. You know, like beaver numbers. Um, what was it? Tree three, right? I'm I'm going over number five. What was it? Ryo's number, and so on and so forth, and like Hilbert's hotel with the concept of infinity. Um, there's some huge numbers, um, but one for just clarity, um, we'll just go with Google, right? Ten with a hundred zeros, like Shannon's number or something. Um, honestly, yeah. So, so it's a large amount of robots, and you know, all they need is this one fact, right? So our main character stumbles upon this inspiration of what's wrong with their plan, and it's the saying, you know, don't leave all your eggs in one basket. So all these robots are programmed to have some sort of defect, very much like you know, humans' in natural selection, you know, um, sickle cell disease, um. And anemia helps pr protect against like HIV or something, right? They have HIV anti-HIV antibodies, right? What one may consider a disability or a defect may be evolutionary mutation or protection against something else, right? Like you know, darker skin protects against sunburns, right? And so on and so forth. Um, 
so and, and eventually right you know like you know there's a reason why we still have left-handed people right not everyone's right-handed right because if everyone is the same like a carbon copy you know um it's very easy for one issue to wipe out the whole species very much like you know the example of bananas like the gross michelle and whatnot so there's always going to be like various pockets where they won't execute certain code they won't you know adapt adopt um these evolutionary traits even though you know it's beneficial to the tech tree because one of their programming is instead of having to utilize every single resource to you know test every single variation it's better to draw upon the wisdom that other civilizations have created and eliminate you know weaker or less potential tech paths right obviously um it's all under the writer's pen you know I, i'm pretty sure people with more um in-depth knowledge in certain fields can pick it apart but you know for a basic science fiction novel it's doing a pretty good job at staying logically consistent at least you know from a general reader's perspective um so yeah so 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 their evolutionary trap does not go to plan and very much like the first volume you know they, they just bought time but you know whereas in the first volume they they deal with this idea of uh, threat deterrence right and the, the meteorite strikes um this one is a winner take all they have lost their gamble right like they have killed trillions right but you know the resources for all those self-replicating robots still exist and all they have done is really is bought enough time so instead of just directly going to you know the virus plan where it's you know because it's already failed they directly go to stage the third plan which is you know letting an evolutionary higher species alien deal with it right you know based on various assumptions so instead of just staying here and waiting for death they all leave they do this wandering earth project right this is why i mentioned wandering earth and so so there are various um issues um social issues with that there are issues some some people decide to stay and some people decide to leave a majority decide to leave you know for the greater good and whatnot to compute continue human civilization but there are various moments brought up throughout all these volumes right you know the protagonist is suffering the protagonist you know is given a large choice but there are other people suffering as well right the head of state is is this hidden deuteragonist right he's almost this anti-hero in every single volume this is i think the only volume i've actually talked about the head of state the head of state is often given this decision he has to make the most logical decision and he has to think through all he doesn't have the scientific knowledge that all these scientists do that all these eggheads do as we might call them but, you know, he has to make a decision that benefits all of mankind. He has to be rational. He has to be constantly on guard against the various factionalisms and, you know, political intrigue that is occurring through every single volume, right? Sometimes, you know, you know, our head of state has to make some mistake and then he has to recidify that mistake. But every, every single um, solution he does has to be selfless, right? Or as selfless as a character they can be that have reached that position. And oftentimes it's just luck that, you know, there is... Um, a wise dictator, an enlightened um, tyrant, right? Um, it's kind of weird to put those two in a sentence, right? An enlightened emperor. Um, but throughout all these volumes, um, you know, some 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 emperors are more competent than others. Some some head of states um, have more wisdom than others, right? And so you you'll see a lot of those various conflicts happening, right? And it was very apparent in volume three where you had, oh, I never got to nuclear deterrence in volume three and the ultimate solution. Um, it's different. Ultimate solution is more space and has less to do with various atrocities and genocide. It's just more of the ultimate solution of like um, civilization um, stuff. Um, so I, I, I think that's actually much more unique um, of a term um, if I ever coin one. Actually, I don't want to be coined. I don't want to be coining a term. I don't want to be making an eponym after my. Um, 
But yeah, so there's there's various talk about legacies and myths, and I think I talk about it before, right? Like, you know, people at, after a certain point become legends, right? You know, when their stories are told, but that person is no longer around and there are no memories of them, right? Um, what is it? Um, Malcolm Gladwell, and there's a couple of Radiolab episodes on what happens after you're dead, right? You know, there are various stages of death. Um, in Chinese, there's also some taught sayings about that right there's social commentary social death where you're like embarrassed to death right and then you have no reputation no face you know some people die some people um are dead before you know they physically um some people are dead before they even know it right which is you know commentary on being socially embarrassed um you know suffering social death that's a funny i'm saying um but yeah so so there's a lot of talk about like legacy of you know what what your character is like you know not not regarding what other people will think and just doing what, what you think is right and, and there's a lot of like you know ideological work and chicken soup being poured throughout all these volumes that make it very interesting um so why do i bring that up in an ai novel so i, I think it really brings out you know that human factor um a lot of other stuff going wrong going on with like a talented 10th um what is it web du bois and you know booker um you know that's more uh, african-american history coming out um uh, what is there? There's also like British, um, um, African British history that you can talk about as well, or African uh, English history, uh, I guess is the term. A lot of HFY um, knowledge going on. H I, I think HFY is really prevalent in the first two volumes. Um, um, the humans fuck yeah tag. If if for those of you who, who don't know the acronym. Um, oh, patrons. Uh, oh, that that has more to do with. Um, but yeah, so we're faced with this crisis. Um, there are these various factions of escaping and staying, and our protagonist, instead of fleeing, decides to stay on Earth. And I really, there's a very cool point brought up, right? And it's like, you know, everyone knows to make the decision to leave Earth is is a cruel one. It's a difficult one, right? And as as head of state, you know, his hands are forced, right? He kind of has to make that decision to leave. But various advisors are giving their opinions, right? Like, yeah, the decision has been made, but, you know, you still need a reason. You need to go through the process of voting, a democratic vote, um, very much like the scientific community and consensus of voting. Um, they talk a lot about, you know, the scientific community and research in volume four. And um, one of the human, um, um, what is it, sociology professors, right? You know, the head of, of human resources and psychology and, you know, human studies basically says, I am not in support of this plan um, to be a wandering Earth civilization. For if we lose our homeland, if we lose our origin, what are we but a civilization um, that will constantly prey upon others? We, we will become a predator. If we decide to escape this disaster, um, if, a disa if our next disaster strikes, we may decide to leave again. We may decide to wander. We may decide to split. They, 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 you see a lot of these um, ideas also explored in Volume 3 at, to a certain extent. But Volume 4 is, um, it's very short lines and I'm reading a lot into it, but uh, uh, you know, I, I have the freedom of interpretation here because I'm summarizing. Um, so he basically talks about like if we become this wandering Earth civilization, we become predators, right? We becoming we become a homeless civilization. We we have left our solar system, um, and, and we are without a home, We're almost like orphans even. Um, back to Volume Three, um, plot ideas. <sighs> Sorry. Um. Um, so I know this is a hard decision and you make what you make, but I must also voice my disapproval for this plan. And, you know, in the end, he goes about it. So it's kind of funny, right? Because the head researcher, the computer scientist that was in charge of this plan votes to leave, uh, to execute their third plan of leaving, right? But he himself decides to stay, 
Whereas this human civilizations guy, this this guy, the sociology professor, expresses his disapproval, but will decide to you know preserve his own life. And it's a little bit hypocritical. And you know sometimes humans are hypocritical. But sometimes you need to express your opinion or what you think is right. And you know sometimes people do the wrong things for the for the right reasons or do something, um, do do the wrong thing even though they know what um um will do the wrong wait do the wrong thing will do the right thing even though they know it's wrong, right? Um, I think, yeah, that's the right term. You have to do the right thing even though they know it's not, not do the wrong thing even though they know it's right. Um, so, you know, our, our main character um, remains on Earth, and there is a, a lot of arcs. Um, I don't think it's... This is actually kind of heartless, because, you know, when you talk about science fiction and you talk about the scale, um, you lose a little bit of that human element because you think about, you know, human civilization. And... There needs to be a balance, I think. When you read war thrillers, you know, spy thrillers and web novels, especially Chinese spy thrillers and military, you know, that sense of sacrifice is always so strong, right? Because you're telling individual stories, you're telling small stories. So going back to one of my previous um, recordings on actor's reincarnation, I think that was like episode 12 or 13, um, one of the analyzing the science fiction genre. I think that's episode 10 or 11. Um... Um, actors reincarnation right there's a lot of plots about spy thrillers right we can go through like tragic ones like lord of war world of deity sword of daybreak um lord of the oasis has a lot of tragic plots and they're all very condensed they're all very small worlds and so that element of humanity really stands out that element of sacrifice even stories like um apocalyptic boss um, aspires to enter the enter the entertainment circle there were like movies about like the furnace just really tragic and sad um korean movies right you know sniper's booth and squid game and so I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. Although, you know, you, you're kind of a little bit numb to all these hero stories by volume four. And um, there is some mention of that in volume five. Very, very minor spoiler. Um, like almost non-existent. That's more of a side detail I like to analyze. Um, you know, I, I cannot emphasize enough. This this is still a very impactful um uh, um, tragedy that's happening on Earth, right? You know, people are dying. They, they make a very intriguing decision, right? Like, so all the people that have left Earth, this wandering Earth faction, are all young people. The, these are the hope. These are the candle. These are the lights of humanity. Now, you know, many people can decide to contribute their individual efforts, their individual brilliance to the collective that is, you know, the human civilization. But, you know, they also must respect personal choice and free will. I remember watching TikTok on our YouTube short of, you know, Stardust and Free Will. That was a cool TikTok with Dimension 20 and Brennan. Um, it's like, you know, sometimes free will is as simple as like, um, you know, you ha um, ants are piling up, you know, a mountain of sand. Where do you want to put your piece of sand? You want to put it right here? Or do you want to put it over there? It's a very, very small decision, right? But, you know, the fact that you're able to make that, you know, it's a sense of free will, right? And they were like talking about stuff like, you know, you know, um, when humans are talking to androids and cyborgs and computers, and what, what's it like to not have free will? And then the android asks back to them, like, you know, what, what um, it uh, returns the question, yeah, um, what is it like to not have free will? Uh, um, and so, you know, there's just, you know, some various commentary on that. Um, but yeah, so our protagonist decides to stay, um, and it is, it is, it is, it is inspiring in its own way, because all the people that, that didn't join the Wandering Earth faction, um, 
they're not um, they're they're considered stubborn, right? They're considered old. They're considered you know not as important, right? Like yeah, they they, they are able like to continue, but you know people acknowledge that this is a sacrifice they are able to make, right? Because a majority do decide to leave to jo join the Wandering Earth faction, and you know the people who stayed is just a small portion, a small amount. You know they may even be dissidents. They'd be angry if they were forced to leave. So you have a bunch of elderly, very old, very aged, right? You know, human lifespan has been extended, right? But these are still very old by that standard, right? They're no longer young. They're no longer that stage of learning. We're, they're, 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 we're like, you know, humans have kind of approached the lifespan of elves, but, you know, they, they are in the twilight years. Even so, it's inspiring because you see all these old characters, all these old folks decide to fight one more time, right? Even though they are facing certain demise, like this, this harkens back to some of the first chapters of Volume Four, um, uh, and some of the nuances of some of the first losses um, to space civilization and warfare. Um, yeah, um, you see this um, ragtag group of old men, of old people, of old women, just coming together um, as scientists, as a scientific community, and trying to do their best. At the beginning, it's just a military effort. It's just a military resistance. But then our main character gets a sense of inspiration. And then there's this spark of hope, right? And then, meanwhile, in the Wandering Earth faction, there are some other issues with the Wandering Earth faction as this looming crisis of, you know, the self-replicating robots comes to be. Um, so I, I will talk about robotics and about the solution that they discovered. So wandering the wandering Earth faction, without a source of a home, without a source of hope, things become decadent, right? You know, human corruption is at its highest, and um, a lot of those themes have been explored before. Um, yeah, so a lot of the themes have been explored before, and and so you know, there's that pirate faction. You know, human civilization is starting to break down as they're traveling, right? You know, people are starting to become more selfish again. You know, we're starting. Um, you know, people are under cruel living conditions and you know um there's that lack of detachment that lack of unity right and so a lot of cruel decisions are made by you know some of the povs from you know the wandering faction and the head of state over there meanwhile on earth you know a lot of um there's some very very interesting main characters that i neglected to mention right the general that has been alongside the main antagonist right it's it's always it's so interesting because each volume will have its own set of heroes of deuteragonists you know the head of head of state and then you know the various side characters that are also very, very integral to the plot. So almost main characters in their own right. Or I guess they're supporting the protagonist. They're side characters, but they're, they're almost too significant to be called side characters. That's why uh, I keep using the terms like deuteragonist or anti-heroes, because they're, they're not they're, they're, they're just too significant too significant to be labeled side characters or to be given that term. They're like companions. Um, but yeah. Um, 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 very interesting people, right? Um, it's it's so amazing to see how far we've come from chapter one. We're 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 in the scope of a planet to you know whole civilization, right? You know, this focus of a few small stories to journeys spanning eons and technology spanning eons. So our main character is working overtime. They are sacrificing their livelihood. They are sacrificing their lives. You know, they're burning, you know, they're like candles burning, burning brightly and, you know, living half as long. They're making certain sacrifices. And, and this is that sacrifice I was talking about. Um, so they all decide, like, you know, they are running out of time. They, they've discovered a solution, um, right? Because um, remember back in Volume 3 when I mentioned they met a Martian? If you, if you don't know, they, they meet a Martian who, who supposedly had the solution to this issue, right? And, you know, ma mankind made a promise in exchange for 
that knowledge of breaking the dead knot that you know one day far into the future they would revive this martian right it's a very simple promise a very simple one that's kept but it's very symbolic right because um you know the second you do that right it, it no longer becomes like you know it is it is a deal it is a trade made in good faith right like you know the martian can only hope to only hope that their knowledge can assist in exchange um he is trading like the, the last remnants of their civilization for some meter of hope right they, they've given humans all this technology and then humans decide in this act of of um great desperation they decide to dissect the alien and try and extract that information from his mind this is done much much earlier in the volume and at, at this moment, you know, our main character loses hope. Our protagonist loses hope in humanity. It lose just loses just a little bit of faith, but just enough that I, I want to talk about it. I'm just basically saying, when we are faced with this decision to, you know, dissect this alien, when I saw that alien on on the di dissection table, I was instantly... I was instantly saddened to see this is what we've done as humans, right? Because I, I imagined what happens if it, it was our human civilization that was on the line, that we had to trade all our information for that meter of hope, right? Um, minuscule, whatever, uh, sorry, there's a term that keeps coming to mind, like mediocre of hope that, you know, a civilization may one day show mercy, right? And, and, and in the end, we, we reneged on our promise. We broke our promise. We broke our, our, our oath, that symbolic sense um, that we would one day revive this alien with all the technology at no matter the cost, right? Because, you know, they have given us all so much for that little spark of hope. And the sad thing is not that we did it, but that we felt that it was right. We did it with no remorse, right? That our human civilization facing our greatest crises yet, right? Um, as many have as many have done before us, and as we will continue to do so, provided you know th they survive, that we have sacrificed the civilization. And uh, I fear, I scared to think of the day that this this might actually happen to humans, where we may there may be one of our species. Um, having to face this sort of decision as well, um, and our fate is in the hands of other aliens. And he was just really sad in that thought that this is what space was. This is what the essence of science fiction was, right? Of space travel, of what it means to be a civilization. It was very interesting, um, very very cool. Um, and so they extracted this message, this, this very simple message of, oh yeah, these aliens are really dumb. And that's the only sentence that he can remember. And um, obviously there's a lot of scientists and psychologists, there's, you know, the collective of human knowledge and of the government, you know, putting all these resources, right? Because, you know, our, our main character is not a psychologist, right? And this is, you know, one of the main greatness um, points of the web novel is that the author, like, really shows that the, the main character is limited in certain fields. He may be a genius in his fields, but he still needs support from all these people, these data scientists, these soldiers to collect the data and do their um, work. Because, you know, he is only a genius among geniuses. He's standing on the shoulder of giants. And it, this author covers that so well. Sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the mic. I'm on my headset mic. Um, but yeah, um, sorry. I, I call this quiet excitement because I'm both calm and excited at the same time. Um, so our protagonist, you know, comes up, figures out the solution called deception, right? Now, now, you know, everyone has received this message and are thinking about how to deceive it, right? But it is not until they come across a key idea, right? Because sometimes it is often the smallest changes of ideas when you get across your pre-existing bias and obstacles that, that you grasp the correct line of thinking, right? It's very much in volume one with the mystery of a piece of paper. In volume... Um, two in 
um, ignoring pre-existing knowledge biases. Um, in volume three, what was volume three? Um, in, in like you know uh, of breaking, um, breaking the game right um, with the dead knot right, and then seeing a future, and then you know volume four with deception. Sometimes all it takes is the correct knowledge and thinking. Um, and a lot of those sources, you see that in Minger Whaling, Tomorrow Hasn't Arrived as well. Um, and so that main line of thinking is instead of trying to destroy, you know, our adversary, how do we make it so that our adversary is no longer a threat to us? And, and now, obviously, that's a very common distinction, right? It's like common mistakes, like, well, what's the difference, right? Well, the difference is that we have to make the aliens think that we are very, like, some way to make the aliens think that we are poison, we are dangerous to them. But then, like, all their error correction software, all their, you know, evolutionary traits, and, like, all they're putting their eggs in one basket have to be correct. And, like, you know, our main character is, don't worry about it, I got a solution, and he, he doesn't explain, and they, they, they execute his plan, right, because he has just no time to explain. Um, but it's very unique, because the solution actually is to get the aliens to think, to ignore that uh, the state of death, right? So he, they stumble upon a cult where they say, oh, he's not dead, he's actually still alive, but he's in heaven, right? So a little bit of a, a jab at knowledge and religion and theocracy there. But it's very unique, right? Because said, as long as you make the aliens think or the self-replicating robots think that they are not dead, that death is not is not a state to be feared, but a state to be desired, then, you know, you can do a decent job, right? You know, there's still like trillions and trillions of aliens out there, right? Eventually they'll go through that, you know, they eliminate a lot with the evolutionary trap, but this one, is more about um of knowledge right you know you have um and so the various plots come into play um sorry this deception right so you have writers trying to write um a very realistic scenario right a realistic world you have scientists trying to make sure the payload is delivered correctly right and the message is delivered um and trying to calculate um directions of navigations of engineering feats of logistics of soldiers right and everyone is playing their part right um Meanwhile, in the Wandering Earth's uh, civilized faction, um, Wandering um, Split, they're dealing with their own set of problems and they're unable to help, right? There's a lot of infighting and civil war, a lot of things having to do with political intrigue and stability. We see sources of that in Volume 2 um, and, yeah, Volume 2 mainly. Um, but, yeah, so our, our main character is fighting against the clock, right? And they realize, you know, they have at most four or five years. and. I think there's always that element of threat, that all, always that element of urgency that, you know, no, nothing is certain, nothing is given, it must be fought for. I, I love that. There's a lot more I could talk about that, like with freedom, you know, the cost of freedom with uh, learned hand, the U.S. Supreme Court justice, and who is the other um, Jewish Supreme Court justice? Um, um, John Marshall, not, not him, though. Um, who... Uh, Oh, Brandeis, yeah. Um, but it was like Leonard Hand, like, you know, just um, freedom must be fought for, you know, justice must be fought for. I think in my favorite quotes, I talk about Ashida, uh, Ashia and like why it never ends that web novel. Very similar style of of um, robots, um, whereas they're facing the distinction level threat. And then, you know, all, all these remaining people, all these old people on Earth are making that ultimate sacrifice of trying to work, right? It is that use of brain power. They're trying, they're sacrificing their bodies in exchange for something. Um, they talk, a, there's a lot of those ideas in Minger Whaling. Tomorrow's and Arrived as well. And so, you know, the robots are slowly getting closer and closer. And then you have all these martial forces, these, these guardians of civilization, you know, trying to buy time as well, right? You know, even, even the general, he, he is faced with a decision in the beginning and, you know, he, he 
he does something that like a, a sort of redemption even um honestly it's almost what he does is a little bit meaningless like his actions themselves are quite meaningless but the purpose behind those actions are very meaningful um so yeah so a lot of um predecessor stuff with you know the military arc at the beginning of the volume that's really cool um but yeah so they're talking about robotics about deception and, and then like um and, and a lot of the elements of you know the sun come into play right like you know they basically just describe how the sun is a portal to another world. Um, there's a lot of deception, basically tricking aliens into thinking that state of death is not a bad thing. Obviously, there's still a lot of eggs in a basket, but they eliminate a, a major portion of it, and then he leaves the rest to future civilizations to deal with it. But basically, he makes humans harmless, um, and that you know, for for these robots just to desire a different state. And you know, there are trillions and trillions. They they wiped out a majority of it with with the first one which is the evolutionary trap and then you know this is the fourth plan that they come up with and then the virus plan right that's activated as well in, in, in essence of buying time right you know and they describe all these plots of of the various sacrifices that people has made it's not a sign it's not a good science fiction novel if there's no sacrifice and there's no end of the world scenarios um and crises so yeah it's very interesting to see how science fiction and, and apocalypse novels kind of have that overlap uh, uh apocryphal or uh, astrological crises novels overlap I think astrological crises refer to zombies and like biological ones, whereas like apocalypse refers to like the end of the world and post-apocalyptic means the world's already destroyed. <sighs> so yeah, that's 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 a lot about volume four, a lot about robots, um, a lot about thinking. There's still a lot of mysteries to uncover, and if you're very interested, I I I feel like I'm advertising, but I, I do I do acknowledge that I think science fiction as a whole definitely needs a lot of support uh, uh, this is this is where this is where my sense of um this is like my call to action my sense of advertising um so yeah i i brought this summary to attention not only just you know to you know be an influencer and like talk about these things that i really enjoy talking about but also like you know to create a com community uh, create a like-minded group of people as much as, as i could right as put the energy that i could in doing my part to popularize it very much like you know how composers on muse score you know write their own scores or transpose their own music right you know contribute to this open source sense of community this open source sense of knowledge as most youtubers do and i could definitely do more by making videos and whatnot but, you know i have neither necessarily the time nor resources nor energy nor money to continue doing so but you know just doing our part and you know as as you know as as most of us are doing going about our daily lives we are patrons in some way supporting various uh, agendas um you know whether you're a vtuber patron right um you know part of that fan group part of that gang you know um um or like you know a content creator and influencer um you know like i think everyone who browses the internet you know kind of like is a patron of something right whether you subscribe to newspapers and you support news and re good reporting of the truth um and what what your standards are for that you know i think it's very interesting to see this in this internet era of how everyone are like our our medicines we are the kickstarters we are the supporters the book readers we are the fans and we fund all these groups our niches our passions and i think science fiction is is an amazing amazing passion to get into now you know i'm pretty sure the people who read science fiction or, or international literature probably read other things right like you know you, you a lot of people read wooksy a lot of people read video games and um the one reason why i always like to bring up the author's names and like you know the links is so you can you know legitimately go to their site and support reading that you know you know uh, whether to brush up the numbers um or, or to just you know support the author in your own way 
I think it's very cool to do that, right? Um, it, it's very interesting. Um, um, I think it was in the Legend of Go, there's a lot of AI concepts explored as well against AlphaGo, I, I for Go, right? Um, the Google AI machine um, and like how like Leela, Stockfish and um, AlphaZero like dominated the chess world. It's very unique to see the dichotomy between chess and Go, right? One is flourishing while the other um, is doing okay, very much like Shogi. But, you know, Go chess is a much more broader international sport because, you know, there are communities based around it. Tutorials are great. There are a lot of interest generated for that. Whereas, you know, like communities like Go and Shogi, they have to, like, find their own patrons, find their own sponsors to continue that sense of culture, whether it's from the government or from local companies. And, you know, it, it's very interesting to see, like, you know, how, how that support kind of works. So, yeah, um, that, that's, I, I know I'm very tangential and I didn't really do this too seriously or script it out, but I'm just doing the best I can. Um, but yeah, so definitely go check out his novel and support it. Um, I think that's it for, you know, the summarization of a series of this, you know, these experimental recordings, as most of my recordings tend to be with, you know, summarizing web novels. Um, um, honestly, uh, th there's a lot more things I want to talk about, like, you know, if where I want to end this, how much I want to continue doing this and whatnot. But I, I guess I'll leave that for maybe like another recording and I I'll leave this off this um um, leave these summaries, um, leave that out of these summaries. So that pretty much concludes my summary for volume four, um, these ideas of AI and wandering earth explored um, by Cai Hongzimeng, right? Rainbow, Rainbow King, however you wish to call him. And I think it's very unique that he's able to come up with all these amazing plots. And he does it all under 700 chapters, right? You know, you write books so you can write 2,200 chapters, right? You know, you write books so you, you may even be able to get an IP and make a large amount of money. Whereas a lot of these science fiction writers, you know, they, they made the decision to write science fiction, and I acknowledge they had that free will to do so. But if it wasn't for the fact that they were able to choose this genre, like this very niche genre, like, they, you know, science fiction has always been much more traditional and, you know, much more skilled in writing. It's very cool to see um, all these stories and ideas that they're being published. You know, who knows, maybe in the future, these ideas may be relevant, right? Whether, you know, spiritual for some um, inspired scientist um, and, and or just for pure entertainment for people, for readers and listeners, maybe even like you and me. I think it's really cool. And, and, you know, you definitely should give it a shot. I think I put a link in the description. I, I keep forgetting to say I put that, but it is in the description. Um, um, go check it out. Um, um, Earth Era is the English translation. And um, I think that pretty much concludes it for I couldn't be YouTuber, so I decided to make a podcast instead. Um, experimental recording, like episode 14, number three, or I think this would be like recording number 17 if we're counting in those lines. Um, but yeah, so that's about it as much as I want to talk about on AI. <laughs> Uh, there's some cool stuff like, you know, Catch-22, and then I wrote some interesting lines like, computers, in a sense, are kind of like dogs, and but it's probably better for computers to be dogs than cats, I suppose. And then, you know, the ideas of dogs being loyal and whatnot. Um, but yeah, a computer cat, <laughs> like GLaDOS or something. But yeah, so I digress. I'm kind of just wandering on and on. Um, and then now I'm, like, thinking about, like, sources like, you know, Small Fiction, very beautiful Twitter account with short snippets of fiction, and, you know, the Oatmeal, SMBC Comics, XKCD. I'm going to leave it off here. Um, definitely this has been a much more calmer podcast, a much more calmer recording, um, probably because I got a lot of my enthusiastic energy out, um, but I hope it was just as informative and organized and unique as, as all my recordings. So, yeah, um, that's about it, and we'll stop the recording here.